and good morning once again. The current time is 9 a.m. and live here from the downtown KOPN studios, it is Community Pulse for this Wednesday, the 5th of August. As a reminder, you can catch Community Pulse live here on KOPN Mondays through Thursdays at 9 a.m. The episodes are then uploaded to both our Facebook profile and our website, kopn.org, and you can check out Community Pulse as a podcast. It is available on both Apple and Spotify podcasts right now. On today's program, we are so very pleased to welcome back Matthew Holloway. Matthew Holloway is the Joplin resident who has been working as an Uber citizen since the pandemic began. He's been compiling data uh, on the COVID-19 pandemic here in mid-Missouri, and he will be interviewed by public health advocate Ginny Chadwick. Matthew, welcome back. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to be here again. Well, Matthew, as you know, oftentimes we start the show by reporting your data. And so yeah. having you on, it's very fun to, to, to say, you know, what we see in collection across the state. And I know many of us in our state are following your posts daily. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Of course. So to look at the data that Matthew reported, we had 1,227 cases identified yesterday in the state of Missouri, bringing us to 50. 54,959 cases um, identified in the state. Um, And we'll talk about the daily average, but it's at 1,236 cases. And our positive rate is at 13.8%. We had 11 deaths in the state of Missouri yesterday um, with our daily average of deaths at 10. So, Matthew, where are all of the places that you're collecting this data? I know in your post you often link to some of them, but to collect this individual data from the counties um, has got to take a little bit of time, right, and, and, and a lot of effort. Um, how are you doing it, and where are you going to get this county data? It does take, uh, you know, an immense amount of effort. I've been really fortunate here in the past couple of weeks that there have been a number of people who are providing county-level data to me uh, on a nightly basis. And so I've posted a, uh, a link that, that takes individuals to a Google form, and they can just kind of drag and drop a screenshot in there. And, and, and uh, that's been really helpful just in streamlining uh, the collection aspect of things. The, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen a, a change um, in that, you know, the state typically has been – in in some cases, as many as two or three hundred cases behind what a county is actually reporting. Uh, so more recently, uh, that's shifted, and, and so the state has actually been ahead in in several instances over the past couple of weeks. And I, I think last night it was kind of starting to level out a little bit, uh, but you know that's that's something that we haven't seen necessarily since uh, uh, the beginning of the pandemic. The state has typically lagged behind, but they're getting really close to kind of being caught up for the most part. And so when you're looking at county data and people providing it, I'm sure that you see that counties report data in different ways. For instance, maybe some counties might report by zip code, um, some report with demographic information. When you're looking at that county data that's given to you, do you see maybe a trend like more urban or larger areas are reporting more demographic factors or I mean, can we speculate that this has something to do with maybe resources that the county has or truly protecting the identity of, like, small demographics? Yeah, I think, 
for the most part, uh, it is a resource issue. I think that some of the more rural counties right now um, have been completely overwhelmed by an influx of cases. You look at somewhere like uh, McDonald County or Saline, uh, where they had a processing plant, and you know their their health department of five or six individuals is suddenly doing contra- contact tracing for uh, 200 individuals every single day. We're doing the best that they can with that, of course. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think for the most part, it is a resource concern. Um, I, I can't speak for every county, uh, but you know, I think the, the attention should be focused on individuals who are sick and preventing uh, the spread any further where, where it's possible. Uh, so, so I don't necessarily have you know a problem with some of those counties that don't um, report more in-depth demographic information, but um, I do think it is a resource issue. Yeah, and we know at the start of this pandemic, public health was desperately underfunded in our state. And, you know, the, the strains on our system have become very clear. So, Matthew, I know that we use this um, data daily um, to report what numbers of the state. What are the ways that you know your data is being used and how do you feel it's influenced decisions that communities have made? All right. So some of the other ways that, um, that my data has been used, I get a lot of emails uh, or, or messages about you know, that, that will say, I work at this company. Uh, we would like to use your, your graphics in uh, oftentimes daily briefings. I think a lot of organizations have, have shifted over to, um, you know, communicating and interfacing in person or via Zoom um, just regarding the numbers and the situation as it kind of evolves. So I, I've had a, an overwhelming number of organizations and businesses from all over the state reach out and just ask for permission to do that Uh it's, it's also been used in some city council meetings uh, here in Joplin. I know it, it was used on three different meetings, uh, one being the mask mandate meeting that at any given time had 35,000 viewers. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I know Richland High School, uh, they've, I gave them all of my assets, and, and they put something together in their yearbook. Um, and probably my favorite uh, I had a, an email from a detective, I believe, actually, in Columbia. Um, it was a little unnerving to, to get an email from a detective, but uh, she asked if her third-grade daughter could uh, could use my graphics in, in a school project, and I was more than happy to oblige for that. So it's been used in a lot of ways, and um, just in terms of, of how it's affecting uh, communities and, and the decisions that they make. Um, I, I've heard from a number of individuals that just based on how close to real time the data has been historically um, that, you know, they, they will sometimes opt for uh, my information as opposed to other outlets. Right. And when we look at the data and thinking about testing, and I know that, you know, we always want more data, right? And, and where are all the numbers coming from? But as you're looking at data coming in on testing numbers, what factors do you see maybe in a reduction in testing or more restrictions in testing? Yeah, so the the biggest one is, for me, I mentioned the other day, is going to be the lack of community testing as the National Guard is no longer uh, available mm-hmm. to provide assistance with uh, some of those large-scale events. So, you know, in the past where we've had 400 tests in rural counties available on uh, a series of days, that doesn't exist anymore. And so the, the shift has kind of focused uh, the, the focus has been shifted over towards county health departments to uh, facilitate these tests when it's possible. And as you know, the public health funding has been um, 
obviously a really big concern in, in how that CARES Act money is being allocated. And as of, uh, I guess, Monday, there were still 50 counties uh, where health departments had received no funding, no, no financial support from the CARES Act. So particularly in community event testing, those, those mass events just aren't there anymore. I think that over time we're also uh, becoming maybe desensitized to it a, a little bit, whereas earlier on we were much more proactive and, you know, if someone had a symptom they were all about getting a test as quickly as they could. Uh, now I think, I think just the, the general attitude of the public has, has shifted a little bit in that respect. Uh, but, uh, and something that was mentioned the other day, the turnaround time for tests for some counties uh, there was one down here in southwest Missouri, for example, where they took a test 14 days later. They still didn't have the result, but even if they had tested positive, their isolation or quarantine period, as assigned by the health department, would have already concluded. So there was really no value in, in taking that test if you're not going to receive the results uh, in, in a manageable or reasonable amount of time. So I think that the delay in testing uh, result turnarounds has, has also decrease people's initiative to take okay. tests when we know that, you know, the CDC is now recommending isolation for anybody who tests positive for 10 days, and if tests aren't coming back within a week or two, then there's definitely that issue. So, yeah. and have you seen that certain populations or certain areas maybe within an industry are, are testing more, um, or is that data not um, transparent or obvious? Really, the only thing that I think we've seen in terms of uh, consistent increased uh, testing has, has has been one long-term care facilities uh, or congregate living facilities. They seem to be tested in certain areas that have had outbreaks before. I think they get tested every single week now. Uh, the other area being the Department of Corrections, which has been challenging at times to to discern the the data and, and really understand the situation within our prison system, but uh, those are, I think those are two areas where consistently we're seeing a focus of, of uh, testing and containment uh, measures being put into place. And I think a lot of people right now are worried about schools returning, right? We have a huge um, concern with a, popu a large population gathering in any place, and so our state um, hasn't put any restrictions on closures in place. They were all recommendations um, by the CDC, but, you know, local communities have put in restrictions and, and, and uh, you know, stay-at-home orders, and as we see some of those expire, um, and, you know, right now very few places in the state have a restriction on bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. There's definitely concern about school closures. As you're seeing the data come in, do you have any ideas of ways that we could track as a state um, what's going on within school closures and, and disclosure of close contacts? That is a, a great question, certainly one on everyone's mind now. I think, uh, and of course I don't have any school-age children, but my wife is a, a special education teacher, um, so, so it's close to home for me as well. I, I think, unfortunately, this that returning to school is, is going to be um, challenging just in terms of the data collection and, and what's being shared publicly. You have a, you're going to have a lot of parents who are upset at, at school administrators, at, at teachers. Um, you're going to have a lot of teachers that are upset in the, in the same capacity. But it's 
I don't foresee this being a situation that is easily tracked. Uh, we face so many challenges in getting accurate data and in getting good communication since the beginning of the, of the pandemic. When we get these kids back into schools and, and as they interact and mingle with each other and, and the virus almost certainly spreads um, throughout you know, several school districts in, in, in Missouri here in, over the next couple of weeks, I, I think that um, I think the situation is going to be challenging to to get a feel for now on contact tracing. Um, you know that's that's going to end up being more on a county by county or maybe even a school by school basis. Mm-hmm. The some of the things that I've heard range from anyone who was within another student who was positive for uh, 30 minutes without wearing a mask will will be asked to quarantine. Uh, I've, you know, I've heard some concerns about uh, individuals or students who reside in the same house uh, being required to quarantine, and it really seems like that information is varying from district to district. Uh, that's, I, I've talked with a couple of uh, educators in Nottoway County, and that has been, it's been difficult to get other districts in the area on the same page and to agree to kind of collectively move forward with a with a unified plan. So. I would suspect that we're also going to see a lot of school transfers or redistricting or self-imposed redistricting uh, for students here here as, as the as the school year unfolds. But um, so you it, mentioned it's really hard, like the challenge that we've had to collect accurate data, and I think that some people will even question whether the data that we're reporting is accurate in any way. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way about? communicating science at a local level um, and what do you think that the public's understanding because I know that you had a lot of comments and a lot of feedback the public's understanding of the most effective ways that you've been able to communicate the science great questions um, yeah so so in, so in terms of communicating effectively uh, the, the the most important thing is is that you acknowledge that the situation is new and evolving, um, and beyond that, don't go into a conversation with, with the intent to change someone's mind, because when you do, you get into this mindset of, like, I'm going to win this argument, or I'm going to defeat this person with my science and my logic, uh, and, and that's not really conducive to, to making any progress. What I've learned about um, just the the accuracy or, or the validity of the data is the, the, the more that this thing has evolved, uh, the more contact I've had with local health agencies, local health departments and hospitals, and, and they all have the same desire to get the best imaginable data uh, and the most accurate and most closest to real-time data that they can. So they're willing to share this information. Um, and, and what I've seen over the past couple of weeks more, more frequently is a health department will will not be looking at the DHSS report each day. And so they'll have, they may have 10 more cases on the DHSS report than the health department is aware of. So my, my report has been facilitating and initiating some of these conversations between local health agencies and the state to get on the same page to move forward. So what I've learned is that as long as you're including both sides in the conversation, uh, you're coming out with a much more accurate and, and uh, much more valid uh, product as opposed to agencies standing alone and, and reporting their own numbers and just being completely 
neglectful of the actual situation or what someone else is reporting. And I think it's just been amazing, Matthew, to see um, bringing together those agencies and the communication that's happened across the state just because of the data that you've been providing. And as you talk about, you know, where we're seeing more cases, you know, right now in our state, what hotspots are you seeing? I know that people are, are very concerned with posts or um, events that have happened that have brought large people together, such as the Lake of the Ozarks and us Mm -hmm. making national news on that. So where are you seeing the hot spots on your map for us to be concerned about? Uh, So so the St. Louis area has been growing, particularly in St. Louis County and uh, St. Charles County, have just been growing uh, at at a very concerning rate. St. Louis County had kind of flattened off for a while, and now they're at a place where you know they they're they're adding so many cases every day. It's it, I mean they dropped in like 581 day uh, in, in the last week, and they had close to 300, maybe even over 300 last night. Uh, and they had such a strong period where they were doing between 90 and, a, and 110 cases a day. So how much they've grown and how quickly it happened is very concerning. In Kansas City, we're we're also seeing. Uh, you know, a lot of people historically have asked, well, well, why is the outbreak in Kansas City, you know, so much less uh, than, than it was in, in St. Louis? And we're starting to see Kansas City take some ownership in uh, in, in raising the, the numbers and, and, and raising the testing, to be fair to them. Uh, but it's it's been it, – our, our major metropolitan areas right now are, are – are certainly our stars of, of the, the daily cases. But to counteract that, we're seeing collectively from rural counties, uh, they're representing a much larger percentage of the overall daily cases than they ever have before. So most nights right now, about 60% of our cases are coming from rural counties, whereas initially maybe in, in April into May, probably 25% of our cases were coming from rural areas. So... I'm just curious about all the personal connections that you must have been making along the way of this process. Yes. <laughs> Matthew, can you can you share a little bit about maybe connections that, that surprised you or connections that are really strong and helpful? Yeah, I have. I've made a lot of, of lifelong friends. Uh, candidly, there are probably 3,000 people who I am Facebook officially friends with, but I have no knowledge of whatsoever, but I've had a lot of people who consistently reach out to me just to support me and, and, um, encourage me. And it's been, I, I, I've been fascinated with the diversity of individuals that that have kind of come into my life since the beginning of this project. I've got anything from school superintendents to, um, leaders of, of major hospitals in the state, um, financial auditors from, from around the state, so many educators. It's it's the connections that I've made. I, I very much look forward to a time when the pandemic is not limiting our our contact and our our travel, um, because I, there are a lot of people I would like love to get out and, and just meet and, and interface with in person um, that have just been immensely helpful during uh, during the project. So one last question. I'll, I'll make it two. What keeps you up at night besides your new baby? Uh, <laughs> And when you're like, and I know that oftentimes, because I stay up late to read your posts, these posts come in late, but, but what's keeping you awake after that? Um, what are you maybe kind of really worried about for the state right now? 
am I worried about for the state? Uh, you know, I my, my biggest concern right now, I've got a wife who is going back into a school district, and while I don't have any kids, and, and I'd like to think that I can at least relate to, to the parents who are sending their kids into an environment that, that could be uh, potentially harmful to their health. The, the stories that have come out from other states uh, just to, about how quickly it grows within schools that have returned to session, uh, obviously really concerning for me, but the probably the biggest thing that keeps me up at, at night is just the unknowns of the situation and what that what returning to school is going to look like. I know a lot of people compare or like to like to point to maybe Germany, for example, of of a place where they were able to to reopen schools and largely mitigate the spread. But the situation in Germany is not the situation in the United States. It's it's tremendously different in terms of uh, percentage of population infected. It's they their intervention measures were actually more effective, of course, than ours. Uh, so so it's it's we don't have a good model for what this is gonna, going to look like as as students and teachers return to school. So just the uncertainties of, of you know what could happen, uh, especially having some some skin in the game with, with my wife being an educator. It, it, yeah. That's the one thing that, that I think is in the back of my mind nonstop. And I know the listeners have heard me say this before, but I question why we t- are talking about schools opening when we still have our bars open. Um, I know that one of the primary places that we see this virus spread is within gatherings and in bars and restaurants. So one last question, Matthew, what gives you hope as you look at the state of the coming in across the state? What, what is my hope for the data? Yes. What, what, what gives you hope? What, what, what good gives things you hope? Are I'm sorry. Seeing? Yeah. No, no problem. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are um, taking precautions that historically had not. I, I continue to receive messages from, from individuals quite regularly, I would say probably five a week, who they didn't take it seriously at first, or even some to the point that they attended pro- anti-masking protests or anti-government shutdown protests, that you know something has affected them personally, and, and they've kind of ch- changed their mind and, and evolved their, their line of thinking. Uh, so, so I think that that number grows a little bit larger every day, and I, I hope that it continues to do so because we've we've got to have a a major change in behavior uh, socially before before this thing starts getting better. Well, Matthew, I know that your data is so important to us here in um, at KOPN and on Community Pulse. So thank you for taking the time to um, share the insights of the data with us and for doing what you're doing for the state of Missouri in this pandemic. Yeah, thank thank you for for all you do. And I, I appreciate you having me on again. Peter, back to you, and thank you, KOPN listeners, for listening to us um, with Matthew Holloway, who's been collecting data across the state on COVID-19. Please follow him on Facebook. Thank you very much, Ginny, and a special thanks today to our guest, Matthew Holloway, the engaged civic influencer who posts data all sorts of data on Facebook and uh, has nightly posts as well. Do check him out. Matthew Holloway, once again, is the name. 
That does it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, a special thanks to public health advocate Ginny Chadwick, also Matthew Holloway, and all KOPN listeners. As always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to the coronavirus and programming here on KOPN. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email us at gm at kopn.org. As usual, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram as well. Community Pulse comes your way live from the downtown KOPN studios Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on tomorrow's program. Dr. Elizabeth Alleman will once again be joined by Sarah Davis, professional midwife with a master's in public health. You can hear their last show. That was the 30th, an excellent program, and we'll have another good one for you tomorrow. Until then, please stay safe and stay informed, Columbia. We have an abridged version of background briefing coming up next, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.